Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and this week, unfortunately, uh, you say it couldn't make it on the podcast this week. He's busy with stuff going on right now, so it's just going to be me this week as we're coming off a, uh, how do you call it, just another disheartening week for the Chicago Bears as uh, they lost 19-13 to the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. Justin Fields looks like he might be out for a while with a dislocated thumb injury on his throwing hand, and just in general, Things just after what was a promising week against the Washington Commanders in Week Five. Uh, now the Bears are one and five once again, and we, we have a lot of negatives to talk about with this team once again. And I don't want to touch on all that today. You know, we do have a lot to cover here. Um, I was lucky enough to be joined by Dennis Ackerman uh, of the Believe in Raiders podcast, who came on to discuss a little bit about the upcoming matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders. So uh, we'll be having that at the end of the podcast here. So make sure to stick around for that. Had a really fun conversation there, but in terms of the main, you know, general topic that I wanted to cover here, it has to do with the quarterback situation because it's been the topic all year long. Justin Fields, is he the guy here for the Chicago bears? And, you know, it looked like he was starting to turn the corner a little bit in week four and and week five against the Denver Broncos and the Washington Commanders, you know, I, I've said it before, but Denver against Denver, you know, the, the first three quarters he had was probably the best performance that, that I've ever seen from Justin Fields on a football field in the NFL, I should say. Um, you know, it looked decisive, looked accurate, uh, looked athletic out there. The arm talent just really stood out. It, it looked like things were starting to click for him in this offense. And then that carried over to week five against the Washington Commanders where, um, you know, he had that big game. Uh, DJ Moore obviously went off in that matchup as, as well. But you just saw Justin Fields looked like a different quarterback in weeks four and five compared to the first three weeks of the season uh, where he looked indecisive. 
not the most accurate passer out there, you know, not seeing the field very well, holding on to the ball too long, taking way too many sacks out there, you know, putting the ball in the harm's way. And unfortunately, when we get to this game against the Vikings, that was the Justin Fields that we saw. And it, and it really started from the first snap of the play, uh, first snap of the game, really, when Justin Fields took the sack there. And it was an example of what we've seen from Justin Fields before as a Bears quarterback, where he's not getting the ball out. He's not, you know, identifying the blitz. He's not seeing the pressure in front of him or feeling the pressure um, in, in the pocket. And that's just leading to too many sacks and too many hits on him. And, and that was really evident, again, like I said, on the first play, where you know that you have an empty protection. The Vikings are showing six blitzers. So, you know, if you're Justin Fields, that you don't have enough guys to block there. You're responsible for that six guys, a quarterback. You have to get the ball out in that situation. It's get to the top of your drop, throw the ball. And even if the guy's not open, your first read's not open, throw it in the dirt, get the ball out of your hands, live for the next down. And, and, and we've seen this over and over again with Justin Fields where he doesn't process what he's seeing quickly enough or he doesn't identify what he's seeing he's, and he's guessing wrong on these plays. And that's just leading to him holding onto the ball, taking the sack. Later on in the game, you know, in that sack that he took that eventually knocked him out um, on that play where he did injure his, uh, you know, thumb um, on, on the play and knocked him out of the game. Again, it was another situation where the Vikings, they only brought a three-man rush. There wasn't a ton of pressure on the play. But once again, Justin Fields holding onto the ball too long, taking unnecessary hits, you know, not seeing an open DJ Moore who, you know, definitely was in his line of vision within the read of the play. He could have gotten the ball out there, get him the ball, you know, anticipate a little bit, and you know, you might have had a decent gain on that play. Instead, hold on the ball, tries to make a play out of nothing when there's nothing there. Um, and by that point, like the pass rush is already on you. You gotta eat it. And instead, he tries to make something there that he shouldn't, and that leads to him getting injured on the play and getting sacked. Um, I mean, it's it's the story on Justin Fields' career as a bear, you know. Not having, of course, a great situation around him. We can talk about the play calling all day. We can talk about the offensive line all day, although they weren't necessarily the problem in, in, in this game. It was mostly, you know, scheme probably led to it. And Justin Fields holding on to the ball too long led to a lot of his issues uh, today. Um, you know, he's gotten improved wide receiver play this year, but of course, wide receiver has been an issue for him. Um, and the lack of weapons in the passing game has been an issue the first two years of his career here in, in the NFL. But uh, really, it comes down to Justin Fields' issues as a passer showing up once again in this matchup. And like I said before, uh, this Justin Fields looked a lot more like the guy we saw in weeks one and two, especially um, against Tampa Bay and against Green Bay um, than he did in the last two weeks where he showed legitimate glimmers of the type of player that he's capable of being when put in the right situation. Now, again, I can go back to coaching here. Look, it, 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 it was definitely not a great game plan. You got to know, you know, you're going up because of Brian Flores coach defense, um, defensive coordinator for the Vikings. You know, the Vikings are the most blitz heavy defense in the NFL. You had to know going into this game that the blitz was going to be a major part of the Vikings game plan to try and confuse and try to, you know, get after Justin Fields, you know, and to see what they did from the very beginning of the game where they got away from a lot of the stuff that was working for them in weeks four and week five, where, you know, a lot of the moving pockets and the play action passes and, um, you know, not relying as much on the screens, but instead, you know, getting just out on space in space and on the move and um, letting him throw the ball downfield on, you know, reads where he's, he only has to go from, you know, reads one to two, you know, splitting the field in half, all that stuff we talked about before, 
you know, attacking defenses vertically instead of horizontally, which is where Fields has kind of struggled as a passer. You know, they got away from all that stuff. And again, I, th- I think some of that had to do with the fact that the Vikings are this aggressive blitzing team and, you know, they would have found ways to maybe scheme against that, but you've got to at least, you know, early, early on in the game, try to at least, you know, use some of those concepts and see how the Vikings play it. And it seemed like Luke Getze, you know, had it in his mind where he was just not going to try that for whatever reason. And we saw his game plan very similar to weeks one through three, where that just that type of offense where it's a lot of spread. It's a lot of, you know, traditional drop back passes where Justin Fields is in the gun and has to read a defense and process things um, and get to multiple reads, you know, uh, two sides of the field and, and attack the middle field. Like that's just not, that's not where he is as a passer. And that kind of leads to the bigger discussion of with Justin Fields going down with his injury, like what's the future now with Justin Fields as a quarterback of the Chicago bears, because, you know, the Bears, they're going to have to make a decision here soon about whether he's their guy moving forward. Now, if anyone wants to talk about Tyson Bajant being the guy, I, I'll just say this right now. Like, no, that's just – that's not where my mind is right now. Like, Bajant came in as the backup for Justin Fields. You know, he played okay at times. You know, he, he you know, in terms of the positives that he brings to the table, he does two things that Justin Fields just hasn't shown to be able to do consistently, and that's – play on time and get the ball out quickly, you know, avoiding unnecessary sacks. Although he did take that strip sack um, on his first drive of the game, which you know wasn't entirely his fault. It wasn't his fault that he got sacked, but it was his fault that he fumbled the ball. Obviously you got to have ball security there in that situation, but Bajan, he really didn't show anything in this game that makes you think that he's going to be the answer here. Right. You know, you definitely see the limitations from his arm talent, um, you see that he's very reliant on just getting the ball out as quick as possible. He's not a guy who's going to extend too many plays and, and make ridiculous throws with his arm. He's not going to stretch the field vertically with that arm and the lack of arm strength. There, there is a lack of zip compared to Justin Fields, who when he does decide to rifle it in there into tight windows, um, he can get the ball in the, in the windows that Bajan just is not capable of with his lack of, of arm talent. And that was evident in this game. Now, Bajan, it, it looks like Justin Fields is going to be out for a little bit here. Now, the Bears, of course, are going to be super secretive about this as they are, you know, capable of doing all the time. You know, they, they are a team that just does not share anything to the media and the fans when it comes to injury updates. So Justin Fields, this could be a situation where he's out for a week or two. This could be a situation where this might be a, a very long-term extensive injury where maybe, you know, Justin Fields maybe doesn't even play again in, in the Bears uniform, which would definitely be sad for him uh, to see his Bears career end like this. I don't want to go... You know, that far yet, I think we are going to see Justin Fields back on the field in the Bears uniform sometime this season. Um, but, you know, this does give Tyson Bajan a chance to show what he does or what he has. And really, it shows Luke Getzey a chance to show, you know, what he has as a play caller here. Because, you know, at this point, you know, the Bears are one in five. It's survival mode here um, for this coaching staff and, you know, really this front office as well. You know, they're, they're, they, they're going to start making desperate decisions and desperate moves to kind of, you know, show that if they can't save their jobs, at least show that, you know, they have a spot in this league for another coaching staff out there. Um, so Getsy, he has a chance to prove that it, you know, a lot of the problems with the Bears offense this year are on Justin and, and, and as cutthroat or as bad as that is to say, I mean, that's, I, I think that's the mindset that Getsy's probably going to have these next few weeks that Bajan's a starter. And again, he can do some things with Bajan that he 
necessarily can't really do it, Justin, in terms of, you know, the quick game and getting the ball out on time, using these playmakers in, in, in spots where it's in the rhythm of, of the, of the offense um, in, in a traditional standpoint. Now, of course, Bajan doesn't have nearly what Justin Fields has in terms of the mobility, uh, the ability on the move to make plays, a big arm, the ability to stretch the field with that arm. I mean, we saw that last interception that Bajan threw. Like, he just does not have the arm strength to make those big-time throws down the field like Justin Fields does have. And that certainly limits this Bears offense to where it's going to be a lot of short horizontal stuff that plays more into Bajan's strengths as a quarterback. Um, you know, in terms of whether, whether Luke gets, he can take advantage of that. We'll see. I, I'm not too optimistic about that. Um, and ultimately, if this is a situation where Justin Fields is out for the significant, significant, significant amount of time, um, this leads to an even bigger picture discussion about, is this the end for Justin Fields functionally as the quarterback here as a franchise guy for the bears? And I, and me personally, you know, I've been kind of leaning towards out on fields um, ever since the beginning of the season, you know, weeks four and five did give me some glimmers of optimism that maybe he could turn this around. I mean, the, the beginning of the season was so bad that like, it was just, it was really hard to see anything justifying keeping him around for um, another season here. But at this point, like this is three straight season where Justin Fields has gotten hurt. His play style naturally lends himself to getting hurt because he does hold on to the ball so long and he does take so many hits. Um, he's just not a guy that you can rely upon to stay healthy for a 17 game season. And then when he is on the field, he's just so inconsistent. And there are just so many limitations in his game right now to where I just don't think it's going to work here in Chicago, unfortunately. And, and it sucks because Justin Fields, you know, we all liked him coming out of the draft as, uh, you know, as a Bears, I guess, fan and, and Twitter community, I guess. Um, he was a guy that I was certainly high on as a prospect um, as well. And, you know, he's a guy that I think a lot of us thought was going to be the guy here that would change the Bears' fortunes at quarterback. And, you know, you can blame the situations. Uh, you know, it certainly has not been a good situation for Bears and for uh, Justin Fields in Chicago. Um but also maybe it's a good learning opportunity for us as evaluators to maybe say, you know, were there red flags in Justin Fields tape at Ohio state that we miss? And namely, you know, the holding onto the ball too long, the processing ability, the ability to read and react to what he's seeing on the football field um, and do things quickly and get the ball out on time. You know, that's certainly something that I think should, you know, changed the way we evaluate quarterbacks or at least it's going to inform my process as I go about scouting these upcoming year this upcoming class of quarterbacks because look in the current situation the Bears they have the first two picks in the NFL draft if the season were to end today it looks like the Carolina Panthers are you know going to be getting the number one overall pick because that team is by far looks like the worst team in football this year like they are just abysmal to watch on both sides of the of the ball um you know and the Bears, you know, this coaching staff, I don't trust them to be able to pull out wins if Tyson Bajan is going to be the guy here for the next few weeks or so. And their schedule is going to get start to get a little bit tougher here in the next few weeks. Um, so it's not like this thing's going to get any easier for the Bears. So they're definitely in a situation where they're probably going to have the number one overall pick. They're probably going to have a top five pick at, you know, at the very worst, I guess you could say, in next year's draft. They're in a situation where you know, they're going to be looking at the top quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. And that's going to be where I kind of uh, shift the conversation here because, um, you know, 
there are a lot of talented quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class, and we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. I mean, Caleb Williams and Drake May are the top two guys, but you also got guys like J.J. McCarthy and Michigan, uh, Michael Penix at Washington, who's been lighting it up there uh, this year. You know, you got Bo Nix at Oregon, um, you know, a bunch of other guys here, and that the long list of names. This is a very talented quarterback class. You know, there's going to be at least five or six guys, I think, go in the first round in this year's draft or at the very least we'll get first round grades from, you know, NFL evaluators. And it's just going to be one of those drafts where it could get crazy from a quarterback standpoint. And the bears, they're in a position to potentially control the entire flow of things here because they are probably going to have the number one overall pick. And if you have the number one overall pick, you're probably deciding between Caleb Williams and Drake may. So, uh, what I'm going to do before I get to my interview with Dennis Ackerman here and get to that conversation I had with him, I want to do a little bit of a mid-season scouting report on how these two are doing right now because, look, if we're being honest here, the next quarterback for the Bears is likely going to be one of these two prospects here. And that's just the mindset that we have to have moving forward. It sucks that we're already talking about the next Bears quarterback here, but that's just the reality of the situation. Justin Fields hasn't gotten the job, job done here. Um, it just doesn't look like it's going to be a situation that works out here. And so you got to move forward. You got to get another quarterback in the building here. The Bears are in a position to do that potentially. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit, you know, my midseason thoughts on these guys. Let's we'll start with Kill Williams because, you know, it he has been, you know, touted as the number one guy in this class you know, for very good reason. He's an extremely talented prospect. He was awesome last year in his Heisman Trophy winning season. You know, you have a lot of people comparing him to the likes of Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning in terms of that generational type of prospect that you only get once in a decade or so um, at the quarterback position. Now, if I'm watching things right now, Caleb Williams, if we're being objective here, it's been a bit of a struggle for him this year. You know, statistically, you know, he does look pretty good. 23 touchdowns, four interceptions this year so far in seven games, over 2,000 yards, nearly 10 yards per attempt. So there is a lot to like from a statistical standpoint, but if you look at the bigger picture here, Caleb Williams, it's definitely been a step back compared to where he was last year, um, especially over the last few weeks or so where he's really had some struggles. Arizona was not a good game from a passing standpoint. Um, that entire offense really just looked discombobulated. And then this past weekend against Notre Dame, I mean, really, this might be the worst game he's ever played, just ever going back to high school. You know, he threw three interceptions against Notre Dame, looks completely off and just, and just overwhelmed in that first half, especially. And a couple of things worry me about Caleb Williams. Like, obviously, the positives for him, the playmaking ability, the ability to have a quick release. He gets the ball out quickly when he wants to. Um, and obviously outside of structure, like he's a fantastic athlete and he's very good instincts in the pocket in terms of avoiding sacks and, um, you know, getting out on the move, getting in space and making ridiculous throws on, on the run, like very Mahomes-esque in terms of his, you know, off schedule, uh, off script playmaking ability. But where I have questions about Caleb Williams is the in-structure stuff. And this is my question for him going into the year. Can he be improved as an in-structure passer? And so far, that really hasn't been the case. And where this really shows itself here is, you know, the turnover-worthy plays as tracked by Pro Football Focus has taken a massive spike this year. Last year, he had a 1.8% turnover-worthy play percentage, which is really good, especially given his uh, play style as a guy who likes to go off script and ad-lib a lot. This year, that has gone up all the way to 5%. So 5% is an astronomically high turnover-worthy play percentage. 
that's just that's just not that's not viable at the next level. And we saw that against Notre Dame. His first instinct where there's any hints of pressure is to immediately look to escape the pocket and ad lib and, and start running around in the backfield. And look, as fun as that is to watch, that's just not something that's sustainable in the NFL. And if you want to compare him to Justin Fields, Justin Fields was a high time to throw guy um, at Ohio State. He's a high time to throw in uh, the NFL. Well, Caleb Williams, he's also an historically high time to throw passer. You know, his his time to throw this year is 3.10 seconds on average, according to PFF. That is a very, very high number, um, one of the highest ever tracked for the type of prospect that we're talking about here as a potential number one pick. So this is somebody that, as a prospect, where he has come back down to earth a little bit as a passer this year. Now some of that is the situation at USC. They aren't nearly as talented of a team. They don't have a, a Jordan Addison type of receiver that can take pressure off of him. But speaking of pressure, another area that that worries me for Caleb Williams is that he has regressed a lot in terms of facing pressure um, in the pocket. When he is under pressure, PFF gives him a 28.3 uh, offensive grade, 27.1 passing grade, and 13 of his turnover-worthy plays um, have come, really all of his turnover-worthy plays have come when under pressure. So Caleb Williams this year, for whatever reason, he just isn't handling pressure very well. Again, it's a situation where he's holding onto the ball too long, trying to force things and trying to play hero ball. And that's just, again, not something that we typically see as being sustainable. So I don't want to say use this to say that Caleb Williams is an overhyped prospect. All I'm saying is that a lot of the people are saying that he's the generational type of prospect um, and, and getting the hype on, on that level as a, as a Trevor Lawrence or an Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. I think we need to slow the train down a little bit now. I think Caleb Williams is an awesome prospect. He's probably my number one guy still as of right now. My only thing is that the reason why I bring this stuff up is that if that continues this year, he's got you know a, a schedule faced right now of where he's going to be playing some really tough defenses over the next few weeks. If those struggles continue, I do have some major questions about you know whether he is going to be my number one quarterback by the end of the season because right now it's trending in the wrong direction for him. I hope he can get back on track here, though. Again, he's going to have a lot of really tough tests coming up. He's got Utah coming up. Um, there's a couple other tough defenses on the schedule, uh, but I just know like I mean that's going to be really what determines his outlook as a prospect. And I can already see the you know media train going the other way where he's been hyped up as this awesome player. He had that awesome game against Colorado where I'm sure a lot of the, eye, the eyes were on him as well. Um, you know, the Notre Dame game was not a good look for him. So we'll see how he responds. If he responds well, then we can forget all about this and we can say that he adjusted and he got back on track here. But that's going to be the interesting storyline to see with Caleb Williams is can he get back on track? Um, because certainly – hasn't been his strongest effort this year in terms of his overall play and he has regressed in many ways and we got to figure out as scouts why that is the case and whether he's somebody that can be um, that elite prospect and translate to the NFL now in terms of the other top quarterback that has been mentioned a lot here Drake May on the other hand has just been really solid this year you know not quite as dominant as he was last year I know North Carolina has had some issues with wide receiver with guys in and out of the lineup, not as much talent there um, as previous years. You know, you got Josh Downs going to the NFL. Um, you know, that th- does certainly h- hurt you in the passing game a little bit. But Drake May, my initial um, outlook on him midseason, 
Um, there is so much to like with him as a player. And I don't want to get this into a discussion where Caleb Williams, you know, bad, Drake May good, but I have done a little bit more digging on Drake May in you know, the last couple of weeks or so. You know, I watched as many games as I could um, just to get more of a feel on these two prospects in terms of comparing them. Um, the things that sticks out for Drake May, um, just one, the dude's just a big dude at about six foot four, 230 pounds. That really does stand out. He's a physical presence out there on the football field. He's tough to bring down um, in the pocket. And when he does get moving in, in, in the open field, um, obviously he's not quite the elusive runner. In fact, I would say one of the cons that Drake May does have is that, you know, whereas Caleb Williams is a bit of a wizard in the pocket in terms of avoiding, you know, sacks and, um, you know, you know, making that one guy miss and getting out on the move. Drake May, if you get a, a, a pass rusher on him, he's probably not slipping the tackle. So that's that's kind of like one of the main flaws with Drake May is his in-pocket movement ability to improvise isn't quite there as it is with Caleb Williams. But what you do like about Drake May is that he has elite arm talent at the position. He's got a rocket of an arm, and he's very accurate as well to all levels of the field, and especially as a deep ball passer, you know, deep ball passer and intermediate passer, um, he is exceptional. And when you look at, you know, his passing depth, when you look at him as a deep deep ball passer, this year PFF has him graded out as a 95.7 passing grade on throws 20 or more yards down the field. He has 13 big-time throws uh, this year on said plays on only 33 attempts. So he is an elite deep ball thrower. Um, in, in, you know, in fact, looking at him when just throwing to the deep middle portion of the field, BFF has like literally the highest graded possible for him passes 9.9 passing grade to the deep middle of the field only on 14 with camp attempts. So small sample size, but on those attempts, 497 yards on 14 attempts, three touchdowns, eight big time throws. So, he is an elite deep ball thrower and what differentiates him from a guy like Justin Fields who held on to the ball for a long time to get, you know, those deeper concepts thrown down the field. Drake may gets the ball out pretty quickly on time and on target. You know, his time to throw this year is 2.73 seconds, which is not necessarily fast, but that is a pretty good number in terms of, you know, processing the defense and getting the ball out relatively on time. Again, it's not like the quickest in the world, but that is very functional. That is very quick, especially for the depth of targets that Drake May does throw, where he does throw the ball down the field a lot. Um, now, what also helps out Drake May is that his turnover play rate this year has gone down compared to last year. Um, he was at 2.4% last year, down to 1.5% this year. So, if anything, while he's thrown four interceptions this year, it's almost been a little bit of bad luck on his part for those interceptions. Um, he's protecting the ball much better than his interception rate would indicate. And when you combine that with the big-time throws that he does have on tape, there is a lot to like there um, in terms of the package. You know, in my opinion, he does a pretty solid job of anticipating throws and, and throwing into windows before guys are open instead of waiting for them to get open. Um, like I said, he's pretty accurate to all areas of the field. He gets the ball out quick enough on quick concepts in the short area of the field. So if you're looking at an overall passer standpoint in structure, Drake May is the guy for you, whereas Caleb Williams has more of that off-script flair that you want from a lot of your modern-day guys. Um, now, where the flaws come for Drake May, in the pocket, I do find his pocket presence to be a little bit inconsistent. Some plays he shows a really nice – um, understanding of when to step up and avoid pressure. Um, in some plays, he's walking straight into pressure and making life a little bit difficult for his protection. 
which is not something that you want to see from a prospect. Um, he's also a little bit inconsistent as a processor at times in terms of getting to um, his second and third read quickly enough. You know, sometimes he does lock on to his first read, and you can see that on, on you know, on, on the limited tape that I have seen where he does lock on for a, a tick or two slower than you would like. Um, other plays, you know, he's really, really quick to, you know, move on to the next read and get the ball out quickly out of his hands and get to his check down. Um, so, yeah, so he, just developing that part of his game. Generally, though, I do think he does a good job of playing in structure and staying on time within the concept. Again, his time to throw does indicate that that's the case. But, again, the main thing for him is that he's not the best quarterback in terms of, you know, breaking tackles in the backfield, avoiding sacks. Like I said, if you get a free runner on him, it's either he's getting the ball out of his hands to his receiver or he's taking the sack. He's not going to be a guy that breaks the tackle, extensive play, um, makes a wild throw in the move, although he can physically is capable of doing that in terms of making throws at weird angles on the move and stuff. It's not something he does often just because he doesn't really have the escapability that Caleb Williams does have in the pocket. So, you know, these are quarterbacks that have two distinct styles of play, and I'm interested to see how the, the season ends for them because um, both probably had their weakest performances this season this past week. Although Drake May, again, he had four touchdowns against Miami, but if you look at him on a per-throw throw, throw basis, it wasn't his most consistent performance, I thought, for the year. You know, right now, I think this competition between these two is a little bit more neck-and-neck neck than people want to make it out to be. And I think if I were to choose today, it's probably Caleb Williams, but I think I, I do have a feeling that as the season goes along, I think Drake may might win out here in terms of my evaluation because he's been the more consistent quarterback this year um, and going back to last year as well. Um, he, he's shown growth in some areas in terms of the quick game and getting the ball out quicker out of his hands this year compared to last year, whereas Caleb Williams has regressed in a lot of areas. Um, and, you know, some of this is going to depend on who's the next coaching staff here, what type of offense are they going to run, Who's the GM? What type of traits does, he's, does he value in a quarterback prospect? I mean, we, we do understand all that stuff here. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the Bears are going to be having to be picking between one of these two guys to be their next quarterback of the future. And this will be something that will be very interesting to follow. And I'm really excited to follow all year long because um, these two quarterbacks, I'll just say it like I, I mentioned this to a couple of buddies of mine earlier today, uh, Drake May. He's probably going to have one of the cleanest evaluations I've had on a quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow, and that's high praise because I love those two quarterbacks coming out of college, especially you know Lawrence was the generational guy, and Joe Burrow, I just really fell in love with his game at LSU, especially in that final year. Caleb Williams, I do, I do see more of an upside with him, but with how this season has played out, there is a little bit more of murkiness there as of right now, so... I, I'm interested to see how the season ends, especially for Caleb Williams. I think if he can turn around, he's probably, again, like I said, going to be my number one guy, but it's going to be a lot of fun to follow. Those two are two extremely talented quarterback prospect, prospects and um, two players that I think any Bears fan should be really excited about because when you talk about getting one of those two guys plus another top five pick, maybe Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe a, a Alu Fashanu or Joe Alt at left tackle, maybe another pass rusher here, uh, or Brock Bowers as kind of like that that flex tight end position receiver type of guy. I, I mean, you could really turn this thing around really quickly here, um, you know, going into the future here. Um, and really have a draft coming up that defines the future of your football team for the next decade. Um, so 
we'll see how it all plays out. It's going to be a lot of fun to follow. Um, but with that said, I think it is time to kind of transition and get to my interview with uh, Dennis Ackerman. We talked about his upcoming game, upcoming game against the Raiders. So um, without further ado, let's just put that on right now. I'll, I'll transition to that. Um, had a lot of fun in this conversation. I hope you guys have a lot of fun listening to it as well. Here is my conversation with Dennis Ackerman. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, welcome back in to the Picks for Polls podcast. We have a special guest today as I am joined by Dennis Ackerman, who is the host of the Believe in Raiders podcast. He's here to give us a quick breakdown of the Las Vegas Raiders heading into the game this weekend. And before we get started, Dennis, it's great to have you on. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just get into it right away. The first question I have for you is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Dealt with an injury, got injured last week. Uh, so first question I have for you is what's his status? What's kind of the outlook of his injury looking like? And, you know, in, in the, I'm, I'm, you know, from my standpoint, it looks like it was a pretty significant injury. It looks like he might be out for a little bit. So in, in the scenario that he's out, who's the backup that would be playing in his stead? Well, first things off, he did not practice today. And that's all the Raiders would say. They didn't want to elaborate whether he was going to practice tomorrow or anything more than that. So right now, his status for Sunday uh, is questionable, you could say. Now, see, uh, he missed the second half of their win last week uh, against the New England Patriots. Brian Hoyer came on to replace him. He was he missed week three against the Chargers, and Aiden O'Connell started that game. So, look, this is a very winnable game on Sunday for the Raiders. And if they win, that makes them four and three. Now, the following week, they take on Detroit, which is a likely loss. But then the following two weeks, they have games against the Giants and Jets, so you could be looking at potentially 6-4. and four. And because of that, I think that's why Josh McDaniels, if Jimmy G doesn't go, would go with Brian Hoyer, the veteran, because he knows what he's going to get in him. He's going to protect the ball. He's not going to turn it over. Probably a little bit more conservative. When you look at Aiden O'Connell, he's a rookie. He started against the Chargers. He turned the ball over three times, despite that the Raiders still did have a chance to tie it at the end of regulation. But look, if you're staring at 6-4, and four, then I think you you got to go with the veteran Brian Hoyer against the question mark in the rookie Aiden O'Connell. They were 1-5, and five and they wanted to see what they had for the future. Then I think you would see Aiden O'Connell starting if Jimmy G can't go on Sunday. Yeah, Aiden O'Connell, of course, had that rough start. Khalil Mack had his classic Raiders revenge game, which I'm sure uh, is, this is nothing new for Raiders fans um, with given how he's played against them um, in recent times. But – yeah, certainly we've gotten our experience in Chicago with Brian Orr. He was here for a quick stop in, uh, I think, 20, 2016, I think it was. So, um, you know, reliable reliable veteran who you kind of know what you're getting there. Um, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, I mean, let's talk about Max Crosby, if you can give us any insight here. I mean, he's been a one-man wrecking crew this year, really for the last few years. You know, what makes him so dominant as a pass rusher and, you know, with how good he's been this year, do you think he – has a place among the elite edge rushers in the game right now. When you look at Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, you know, some of the other big names, Nick Bosa, who have kind of just really dominated the sport in recent 
recent years. Oh, I definitely put him in with that group. And the thing about it is he's even improved uh, in the run game as well. I mean, I think he had four tackles for loss. So not only is he a great pass rusher, he's also a great run defender. Honestly, I think you can make the case he might be one of the best all-around defensive ends in football. And you're right, he is a one-man wrecking crew because if you look at the rest of that defense, there is not a lot of playmakers out there for the silver and black. Now, I will say this. Over the last 10 quarters, the Raiders' defense has improved significantly. They've only given up 30 points. They created about five or six turnovers. And they also sacked the quarterback about five or six times. And now most of those quarter uh, sacks are coming from Max Crosby. But some of the other guys on defense have started to uh, pick up. Trayvon uh, Merrick, one of their starting safeties, has a couple of interceptions. Robert Spillane, starting linebacker, who they signed in the offseason. He's a free agent coming over from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He also had a couple picks. So, look, they're finally starting to buy into Patrick Graham's uh, defensive system here and over the last two plus games the defense has played much better in fact it's I, I think you can make the case the defense uh, has saved the Raiders the last couple of weeks yeah absolutely that defense has been playing very well this season and and Crosby like you said he's for my untrained eye being able to watch only a couple of Raiders games this year I mean every time there's there's a defensive snap he's just in the backfield it seems like every single play and uh, I'm really excited to see how he does against, uh, or I should say how Darnell Wright, a rookie tackle, does against him because that should be a nice nice test, put it kindly for the rookie, um, going up against him, I'm sure, on Sunday. Um, going back to the offense side of the ball again, you know, one of the star players for Raiders, of course, is uh, Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing last year, but has gone off to, uh, we were talking about this before, before the recording here, I mean, a really, really slow start to the year he's only averaging just under three yards for carry right now um you know what do you think is the reason for his struggles is is it you know the blocking is it scheme or is it just you know him not playing as well as he did last year i'll tell you what the first the second the third reasons are the (laughs) offensive line has completely struggled this year not only run blocking but pass blocking as well and as you just mentioned here's a guy josh jacobs he led the NFL in rushing a year ago. Now he wanted the big contract extension. He didn't get it, so the Raiders franchise tagged him. He came into camp late, uh, and unfortunately for him, he just has not been able to get on track. But it, honestly, it all has to do with that offensive line. You know, They pretty much kept it intact from a year ago, uh, but they just, for some reason, they have regressed when it comes to running the football and pass protection for Jimmy G or whoever is quarterback in the Raiders right now. So look, uh, Josh Jacobs is still the right same running back uh, from last year. I don't put any of this on him. I, like I said, I think it's all one, two, three on the offensive lines. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line, uh, you know, it's been a, if you can give us any insight on this offensive line, because it, it seemed like a unit going into the year where um, they had some, some pieces going into the year. Colton Miller has been um, a solid player, left tackle. He had Donald Parham, who a young guard, um, you know, do you think it's an issue where they just haven't found the cohesiveness with that unit yet, or you know, what's what are some of the issues with issues with that unit that's kind of held them back? Well, you know, last year, look, I think they overachieved. I think everybody will agree with that, and we thought they would address the offensive line uh, in the off season, and they didn't. So, as you said, they brought back Colton Miller, uh, left tackle. Now he is a he's a very good player. There's no doubt he's one of these uh, better offensive left tackles in football. A lot of people thought they were going to move Parham. From guard to center, well, he's more of a natural fit. But uh, Andre James has been there uh, the last three years, and he's played he, he, he's played well. But at some point, I imagine they're going to let James walk, and Parham will eventually move to center where he's more suited 
the struggles have come on the right side of the offensive line, more so in particular. Van Roten, they uh, signed in the offseason. He has struggled uh, at uh, right guard. A lot of times what the Raiders will do, they'll go jumbo packages on first down. A lot of times they might employ an extra offensive lineman or they'll go a lot of two tight end looks. Uh, and as Josh McDaniels has tried to get this running game going, but the problem has been the Raiders are so predictable on first down, they run the ball at least 90% of the time. It constantly leaves them at second and long, which will lead them to third and long. So that's been the kind of the issue. The, the offensive line has struggled. They can't get the running game going. And then it leaves them with very, you know, a lot of times playing behind the sticks. Yeah, and one correction I'll put out there. I said Donald Parham and Dylan Parham for uh, our listeners out there. I was thinking about one of my my fantasy football teams. I got him deep on a, on a bench. Chargers tight end, I should say. Um, but going a little bit big picture here for um, second to last question here. Uh, Josh McDaniels, head coach for the Raiders. You know, it's his second go around as a head coach. Funny enough, in the AFC West, as he's, his last stop was with uh, the Denver Broncos. You know, what's your take on the job he's done so far? And, you know, do you think he gets another year in Las Vegas, especially like you mentioned that the, the schedule is kind of lining up for them here to maybe, you know, stack a few wins in the next few weeks or so? Look, I think one of the reasons they brought him in was to improve this offense. Uh, they jettisoned Derek Carr at the end of last season because he and GM Dave Ziegler decided Carr wasn't their man going forward. They brought in uh, Jimmy Garoppolo because he was familiar with Josh McDaniels system. They said, he, uh, Jimmy G will be a better fit. Well, the Raiders scored 20 points in a game just once, and that came last week, and that was because the defense recorded a safety to get him to 21. So, this offense has regressed. They were in the red zone last week six times. Now, if my math is right, six times seven, that should at least be 42 points, and they came away with 19. So, we thought that McDaniels would fix the red zone issues. He has not. For some reason, this offense has regressed uh, under his watch. Now, look, at unless this team does a total collapse, uh, he loses the locker room, which I don't really see happening. Josh Dav- McDaniels is definitely back for year three, and I would think the same thing with the general manager, Dave Ziegler. Yeah, a- absolutely. I think uh, I think a lot of it is going to have to come to their success this year. And, you know, at three and three, I think, like you've mentioned before, they are in a in a pretty good spot, especially you know this Bears team having Justin Fields out. You know, you got to look at that as a, as a pretty good opportunity uh, this upcoming weekend. And, and speaking of that, uh, let's talk about this upcoming Sunday. Um, you know, I know you got some places to be, so I'll I'll, I'll make this your la- the last question here today. Um, so for the game on Sunday, uh, what's your prediction for this game? Who do you have winning, and who do you think is going to be the X factor that ultimately determines the outcome of this one? Well, look, uh, the Raiders, you know, they play a lot of close games. Every game's been close except for one when they got blown out on the road to Buffalo. The Raiders' three wins are against Denver, Green Bay, and New England who have a combined four wins. So, look, I think this is going to be a close, low-scoring game. I don't think there'll be a lot of crooked numbers on that scoreboard. I I have a feeling the Raiders are going to squeak this one out, but honestly, I think you're probably looking at maybe a 16-13 game, maybe 17-14. I think uh, you're going to say, oh, that's not really going out on a – but Devontae Adams only has – he has less than 10 catches his last two games combined. So I would expect the Raiders to get him involved early and quite often on Sunday and uh, look for him to have a big game, I think. And like I said, uh, no matter who's a quarterback for the Raiders, I expect it to be a low-scoring game. I do think the Raiders have a little bit more talent than the Bears, and I think they're going to squeak out a road victory. 
Yeah, Bears fans definitely know what a Devontae Adams big game looks like. We've experienced <laughs> that uh, far too many times in, in my uh, in my lifetime watching this team as a fan and covering the team. Um, so, yeah, that will certainly be another interesting matchup to watch as well. Uh, well, Dennis, uh, it's been awesome talking to you today and getting some insight on this Raiders team as uh, we look forward to Sunday. Uh, before I get you out of here, um, where can our listeners find your work and uh, follow you on social media? You know, wherever you can hear podcasts, whether it's Spotify or Apple, my co-host uh, is former uh, Raider Stanford Route. We usually publish a podcast at least once a week, and that's where you can find us. And on Twitter, it's uh, at Ackerman underscore Dennis. And I really appreciate you uh, having me on. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's great having you on. And once again, thank you for coming on. It was a, a lot of fun. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. That was my conversation with Dennis Ackerman. Had a lot of fun with that conversation, like I said before. Um, gave us gave me some really interesting insight. I hope, hope you guys got something out of that as well. Now, transitioning to talking about this upcoming Bears game against the Raiders. You know, this is going to be a tough one to talk about because obviously Justin Fields is not the quarterback in this game, or at least he's listed as doubtful. I, I Again, I doubt he's going to be the starter here. Um, Tyson Bajant, for all intents and purposes, looks like he's going to be uh, the guy uh, this week for the Bears. And this is going to be the first showcase, his first start as a UDFA rookie. So, I mean, this is going to be really interesting. You know, uh, the Bears, in terms of where the Raiders are at here, like they're 3-3, three and three, but I wouldn't say they're necessarily a strong 3-3 three and three team. You know, you look at all their wins this year. They they won against the Denver Broncos in, in Week One. You know, the Denver Broncos are one of the worst teams in football this year. The Packers, we know about how bad, um, you know, they are as a team. It looks like you know they're banged up on offense. Um, Jordan Love, you know, it's Jordan Love. It's it's incredible to me that um, he was able to just dissect the Bears like he did in Week One. Um, just how pitiful that defensive performance was from the Bears in Week One. Uh, because Jordan Love has not looked good this year. He did not, did not look good in that Raiders game. Um, and then, you know, they beat the Patriots this past week. The Patriots look, I mean, they look so bad. I mean, they look really bad this year. Mac Jones and that offense just, they might be the worst in football. And I don't even know if it's close. That offense just does not function uh, whatsoever. Um, so the Raiders, they really benefited from an easy schedule when they played some more difficult teams. It hasn't been as pretty uh, for them this year. You know, Jimmy G, they also have some quarterback issues as well. Jimmy G, it looks like he's going to be out for this game. So you're looking at you're looking at Brian Hoyer as your starting quarterback. So it's a battle of backups here between these two teams. And ultimately, look, I mean, Brian Hoyer, he's the more experienced quarterback here. So I think the Raiders have the edge there. And then in terms of some matchup here, you know, the X factor for me in this game is going to be Darnell Wright and Larry Bourne at tackle because, you know, you're going up against this Raiders pass, pass rush. Max Crosby has been a one-man wrecking crew this year. I mean, he is, he's legitimately been a top-five pass rusher in the NFL, if not top three, um, single-handedly taking over games. And we saw that against Green Bay on uh, Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago. We saw that last week against the Patriots. He is on a tear right now. And, you know, 
it's going to be interesting because you have Larry Borm, who's filling in for Braxton Jones at left tackle. He has struggled mightily this year in pass protection. So I wonder if the Raiders try to move Max Crosby around and get him matched up against Larry Borm more in this game, which would make a lot of sense in my opinion. If that does happen, do the Bears try to maybe you know do some more chips and double teams to kind of help him out? And then when he's matched up against Darnell Wright, like what's the strategy there? Do you leave the rookie on an island there and and kind of let him sink or swim, or do you try to help out your young rookie tackle a little bit? I personally lean towards you want to help him out in this matchup because Max Crosby, he's making the best of the best look really bad this year. So I can't imagine what he's going to do against a rookie who, right, he has looked he's looked fine for the most part this year, but he has had his, his fair share of lumps as well. So you, you got to factor that in. Uh, to me, that's the, the most important matchup in this game is how does the Bears offensive line and, and coaching staff slow down Max Crosby if they can because he's just been so damn good this year. And if they can't, it's going to be a long day because, look, Tyson Bajan, he does a good job of getting the ball out quickly. But if he's if he's under constant duress, I mean, that's just going to lead to issues in terms of interceptions and, you know, a lack of you know third down conversions. And that will eventually lead to sacks as the game goes along here. So you got to imagine that the Bears are going to try to do everything they can to slow down Max Crosby. If they can't, I mean, it's going to be a long day. Um, you know, d- defensively, I think the Bears – they will match up well in terms of the strength of their defense is a secondary who did play pretty well last week. And, you know, the Raiders, the strength of their offense is their wide receiver room against Devontae with Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers, both having pretty nice seasons so far. So the bears, it's going to be strength on strength there. And it's going to be weakness on weakness in terms of the Raiders offensive line has kind of had their struggles as well, uh, especially in the run game. Whereas the defensive line for the bears, you know, we know about the struggles that the defensive line has had so far this season as well. So, you know, it's a situation where I think it, it kind of matches up pretty well for the Bears in terms of where the strengths and weaknesses kind of lie. And, you know, we'll see. I think ultimately, in terms of predicting this game, I'm going to give the Raiders the edge. I think they get to win the win um, 20 to 10 in this matchup. I think they do just enough on offense with Brian Hoyer at quarterback to, uh, you know, get a win here. And unfortunately, I just I just don't trust this Bears offense to get anything going with Tyson Bajan at quarterback. No offense to him, but UDFA making your first start in the NFL against Max Crosby and a pass rush that has been pretty good this year. Um, you know, Patrick Graham is a very good defensive coordinator as well, I should mention, uh, for the Raiders. So, yeah, I just have a bad feeling for this one, and I think the Bears are going to be uh, one and six, unfortunately, um, after this upcoming week. Well, I well, I guess fortunately, if you're looking at this from a draft standpoint, because for a lot of people, that's probably what a lot of Bears fans are looking to at this point in the year is looking for the better draft position for the Bears. And ultimately, honestly, that's probably where my mindset is going to be as well watching this game. But with that said, that's going to wrap it up for me. I've talked a lot on this podcast today. Uh, my my vocal cords are getting a little bit a little bit strained right now. So I'm going to call it here uh, for the night. And, uh, you know, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to like, rate, subscribe to us on all podcasting platforms, especially on Spotify. Make sure to follow us on social media at Picks for Polls on Twitter, uh, where we'll have some updates as well. Um, and then, you know, make sure you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can follow Usaid at, uh, on, on Twitter as well. Um, and give him a follow, give the Bear Report a follow at Bear Report um, on Twitter. And yeah, you can find, my, find our work on the Bear Report website. I got my Trek in the Trenches coming up this week, uh, which was certainly an interesting um, addition uh, given, you know, the defense, you know, the, not really getting after the quarterback once again and the offensive line struggling, but also like, 
wasn't really on the offensive line. So um, make sure to check that out. I have a lot of context that I, that I provide in that article. If you want to see how the trenches are doing from a pass rush and pass protection standpoint, but until next time, bears fans have yourself a great weekend and I'll see you guys next week.